Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 50, verse 4 through 9a, the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1 through 12, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verse 27 through 38, and Psalm 116, verse 1 through 8. God, grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I just love when Satan shows up in our stories. It's fun every time. I don't know if you noticed Satan showing up today. Well, you know what you think? Well, Jesus just called Peter Satan. That's that's not quite the same thing. That's just grumpy Jesus. We have like weeks and weeks, by the way, of grumpy Jesus coming up on Sundays. And it is so much fun for the preachers. So just get ready. But but uh, what I love so much is I think Jesus sees something in Peter when he calls, when he says, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he's just name calling. I think he sees the presence of Satan and he's calling something out that we need to hear. But for us to hear it properly, for us to understand it, we need to pay attention to who Satan is in our scriptures and how Satan actually works. Because I know when I when I talk about Satan, y'all immediately are like red dude, horns, pointy beard, little triton, right? Like I got it. But but the Satan of the scriptures works in a little bit different of a way. Think of our friend Job from back in the Old Testament. Most of you remember Job, or you remember the story of of the guy who did everything right and everything went wrong anyway. Not a bad story for us to pay attention to. It's a good story for us, Job, because we remember that, you know, we have the tendency to think that if you do good, good things will happen to you. And if you do bad, bad things will happen to you. And Job is a really wonderful scriptural story that says, except not, not always. But what many people don't realize is how the story starts out. The story starts out with God hanging out up in heaven with God's heavenly host, just sort of chilling in the heaven lounge. And like looking down on earth and just kind of going like, yeah, I did pretty good. That's, that whole thing is great. And there's Job. He's fantastic. And then Satan shows up in the heavenly courts. This is how the story goes. I'm not even exaggerating. You can find it. And Satan, and this word Satan in Hebrew is a word that means uh, um, sort of, a, it can mean accuser or it can mean adversary. Essentially, this character is one whose job it is to undermine God's work, to undermine God's plans, to undermine even God's thoughts and what God says in the world. And so Satan shows up in the story, hanging out in the heavenly lounge with God, and he goes, oh yeah, Job, oh, you think he's pretty great, huh? Yeah. Well, I... I bet that he's only like that because you gave him everything, and if if he lost things, he'd be a miserable jerk, just like me. I don't think he'd be that great, actually. And so begins the story of Job. Satan, in that case, is not the evil red with the pitchfork. Satan is the one who comes into a space that is filled with love, and recognition of God's power and beauty and says, is this real? Is love, this, is this really love? Is that guy really good? Is this earth all that special? Mm, I don't know. 
I'm not sure. Satan is not the evil anger that we picture so often, although that comes from Satan as well. But in this story, Satan is the one who just whispers a suggestion that maybe things aren't the way God would like them to be. You all remember the most famous example of Satan is present in the Garden of Eden as a serpent. Yeah, you remember this story? But you may not recall just how the serpent does his work. The first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they're, at this, they're in this garden. And there's, of course, this tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil they're not supposed to touch. And Satan doesn't come in and throw the apple in their face or, or trick them, doesn't cook up something lovely and sneak the fruit into, into like, you know, a, a pie that he made for them, right? That's not what happens. The serpent comes in and says, why can't you eat from that tree? Well, God told us that we can't eat from that tree or we'll die. And the serpent just says, oh, hmm. is that true though? Maybe, maybe you won't die. Maybe, maybe God just doesn't want you to be powerful like God. Maybe, maybe God's not really looking out for your best interests. Maybe you have to look out for yourself. This is Adam and Eve. They got everything that they need. They've got the whole garden. They've got all the food they want. They got a bunch of pets. It's pretty fantastic. They don't have to clean up after them because it's all outside and the weather is perfect. You'll remember in the story, it actually says that the man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed which is, a, 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 get all giggles aside, what a fantastic thing to, be, to have nothing to hide, to be utterly and totally yourself in front of another person and be completely unashamed. Talk about a bucket list item. That sounds fantastic. Would that I could be unashamed when everyone could see who I fully and truly am. That's who they are. That's what they have. They have total and utter belongingness to one another, to the world, and to the God who made them. And Satan is the one who comes in and says, but do you? But do you? And so today we have this story of Jesus and his disciples. And they're surrounded in Caesarea Philippi with all sorts of symbols of worldly power. They're surrounded, I mean, they're, 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 they're just a stone's throw away from one of the emperor's vacation homes. They are, it's really close to the coast. And, and, and they're surrounded by this, they're in this space that's got a bunch of pagan idols, so they can see all of the worldly religions and the worldly desires and all of the things that they could have. And in the midst of all that, Jesus has the audacity to ask, who do you think that I actually am in your life? And his disciples get it right. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we have been waiting for. We have been asking for deliverance. We have been praying for deliverance as a people. And you are God's deliverance. And he, he rewards them by saying, shut up. Don't tell anyone. That's what he says. Don't, don't say anything. Because Jesus knows that even though they are right about who he is, he recognizes they don't know what to do with that. And we see that happen right away with Peter. Because Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And I'll tell you what, the Messiah is here and is going to be persecuted and handed over to the authorities and is going to be killed. And before he can barely even get out the words and be raised again and, and utter the miracle, as he's just, he's barely getting those words out and Peter is already taking him aside to say, don't talk like that. That's not what a Messiah is supposed to look like. Jesus, save us, but not like that. God, help us and do it in a way that makes sense to us. 
God, change our lives and deliver us from evil and please make it clear and obvious and as simple as possible. This is not who Jesus is in the story. It's not who Jesus is in our lives. The disciples and all the people around them, they want a Messiah who comes in and gets rid of all the things that make them miserable and all the people who are making their lives harder and worse. Get rid of those people. Give Israel their land back. Reestablish the borders. Get a new king. Build a new temple. We got this. Come on, Messiah. And Jesus says, I'm going to come into the world. People aren't all going to buy what I have to say. And I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed by these people. And I'll be raised up again. And now we, 2,000 years later, have the benefit of force of, of looking back and saying, ah, hindsight, yes, we see. In light of the resurrection, all of this makes sense. And, but even then, even, even then, they look at this and they say, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit with my picture of what salvation is supposed to look like. Take away all the bad guys. Make our lives easier. And Jesus says, your lives are going to get harder, but you will be saved. I will not make your lives convenient, but I will draw you more deeply into relationships of love with the people around you, with the God who made you. This is why Peter rebukes Jesus, because deliverance doesn't look like he wants it to look. And I think that we can relate to that pretty well in our lives. Our salvation, our deliverance doesn't look like it's making our lives very convenient, does it? God, the God who loves us and who is saving us, is not removing every obstacle that ever existed from our lives. And yet God is present and working in these lives. Even in the midst of our deep sorrow and struggle, God is is working powerfully. And I don't mean despite the struggle. In it, friends, in it, God is present. But it still bothers us because the voice of Satan whispers every time things aren't the way we think they should be, the voice of Satan whispers, but are you really loved? Oh, you go to this church where they talk about God loving everybody. (laughs) But I mean you? Even you? Because I know all the things about you. And if I know, God definitely knows. It's probably, it's probably God loves everybody but you. That's probably a better gospel. Yeah, that's right. When we look around at our lives, when we look at this world, and we proclaim the truth, our founding truth as a church, that God is love, and working out that love in this world and bringing us into places of healing and reconciliation. But we look at the world and see where that doesn't feel right. We can hear Satan saying, are you really taken care of? Are you really loved? Do you really belong? I mean, you could certainly work harder at it and be a better person. And then maybe God would love you more and then things would get easier. Or when we look at the people around us and we read about how we're supposed to love everybody and then we look at the people around us and we hear Satan say, 
I mean everybody but that person. We're not going to love them. Or I could love them if they would just think like I think. I would love them. I could love everybody if they just got vaccinated. I'd just love them. I could love everybody if they would just get on board with how I am. To which Jesus himself says, get behind me, Satan. You are thinking about the world on your terms and not on God's terms. And this is so important, not only that Jesus says that you are thinking about things on worldly terms and not on God's terms, because we know that we do that, but what Jesus says about it, first of all, he calls us Satan or he recognizes Satan in our midst, and we got to hear that. We got to hear that we are capable of being adversaries to God's will, to God's work in the world. We have to see it, but also we have to recognize that Jesus is saying, get behind me. Not get away from me, not go away forever or be banished. Jesus tells his disciple who has gotten out of line and says, do things my way, Jesus. Jesus looks back at him and he says, no, you get behind me. From behind Jesus, you can follow Jesus. When we get back behind Jesus and allow God to lead the way, we have the capacity to follow Jesus into places we could not have imagined and to love in ways we could not have imagined, to believe our own belovedness, to believe that you and I are actually loved. Yes, as we are. Not loved the way we're supposed to be, not loved the way we would like to be, but loved today looking just like this. We're all not going to get naked, but we should be unashamed. We should be unashamed. We should live with a recognition that we are loved fully and totally as we are. And that shame that whispers in our ear that we don't deserve it and neither do the people around us and maybe we all do just deserve for the world to end, that is Satan. Get behind Jesus and look at the world through God's eyes. That same God who looked upon us on creation and said, it is good, it is good, it is so very good, continues to live and love and bless this world. The voice of Satan is strong. And I know some of you are still out there going, yeah, but do I even believe in Satan? I don't care if you believe in Satan. Just pay attention to what Satan's saying. Because Satan is the one that is telling you you don't belong, you aren't beloved, and that the others who belong, it's on condition of something of their behavior or their attitude or something that makes them better. That's, that is anti-Christ. We get behind Jesus. We follow the God of love into this world. We recognize our belonging in that relationship with God. And we recognize the beauty of the world that God is giving us as it is, as it is. And then we participate with God in the healing, in the reconciliation, in the transformation of this world because we are called to do that work. 
We're called to do it together, and we do it in Jesus' name.